Burnout isn't just an issue for physicians. It can surface at any point throughout an individual's medical career. If you're experiencing burnout, it's important to keep in mind that you're not alone and you will get through it. I experienced burnout and the interesting thing was I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, it was like my third year, halfway through my third year of residency, we all did one of those standardized burnout surveys and 100% of my class was burned out. Um, this, was, this was only about two years ago, right? And I was surprised. That's Ryan Ribera, MD, MPH. In part one of this episode of Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association, Dr. Ribera joins a panel of physician burnout experts who share their personal experiences managing burnout and address potential system-wide solutions. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the American Medical Association. Here's part one of the panel discussion. This question would go through first to Dr. Keefe, um, and it is to ask, um, have you experienced at some point in your medical career uh, burnout, and if so, how did you address it? So I guess I would reflect back to the time uh, when I first came out in practice. I was in solo practice, working five days a week, uh, three or four more hours of administration and rounds at up to four hospitals, taking call every third night. Uh, but we had great teams at my, uh, at my office. We were innovating. We were doing fun things. I loved the patients. Uh, we were great at pre-authorization billing. Uh, we had an excellent staff. And then as we expanded, uh, being the owner of the practice, we had new medical equipment, new docs. I actually had to moonlight on the weekends so I could take home a paycheck because I had to pay everybody else first. That's not what put me into burnout. What did was when we sold to the hospital, the teams disintegrated. We got uh, our staff got taken uh, to every other different clinic around the city, and we got kind of leftovers. Um, there were all sorts of complaints. I was scheduled very badly. I was always behind because they didn't know how to schedule me. We always just did sick care, trying to transport or you know feed their tertiary clinics. No time to do prevention care. You know, in these 12-minute visits, you <coughs> felt like you were putting out fires with a squirt gun, and it's just you felt like you were drowning and there was no end in sight. You dreaded going to work. You just were getting some recurrent nightmares and you could not speak up about it. You were afraid, just like in you know, internship, you were afraid you'd get fired. You couldn't trust anybody. You know, how could you even talk about this? So um, two of our practices that were experiencing this, we merged and bought ourselves back and got back that uh, our staff got back to the innovation again, a manageable schedule, uh, good technology, good equipment. We were finally able to do some preventive care, which is so satisfying, and not to just see the ravages of, of people uh, you know, that have not had preventive care. It was diverse. I was doing uh, some surgical assisting. I uh, did a lot of my ER rotations. And you got back to the joy of it and finding medicine as a calling again. And that is so important, that it's a calling. It's something we really do. And the other things I think that helped me then over the next couple years, uh, you know, I married 41 years out, but you know, five kids, just that joy of being with them and in the moment, 
you know, taking your vacation time, get, you know, unplugging from the system, whatever. Um, spiritual and emotional health. I'm a singer, I was in a choir and played guitar, and that was wonderful. Um, also, I always had in my office medical students teaching. It keeps it so fresh and it energizes you. Uh, you it's a very two-way street. You hope you can teach them something, but I, I'm always energized by students. That's why I'm in academic medicine today. Um, also, I did a couple medical mission trips, and to be able to take care of people without the billing and all the, the administrative stuff, and you had grateful patients, and you really were able to make that difference. The other thing was being involved in organized medicine. I started that early, and that's where you really could talk amongst you know, the colleagues in a safe place. And you could fix from just some of the problems that you're having in the office to big legislative issues that can help us all. So those are the things I did to combat the <clears throat> burnout. So pretty impressive. What I was hearing was know thyself and to thine own self be true. So Dr. Brown. I had a a similar journey. Um, I uh, finished at Rush, went to work. Um, I felt it also as a calling and worked at a federally qualified health center not far from here called Mile Square, serving a square mile of underserved on the, on the near west side of Chicago. That closed um, the last time Illinois had no money. And my colleague and I looked at each other and we said, and this is in the 90s, uh, do you want to go into practice together? Uh, so we just went down the bus line so that we could continue taking care of our patients. And it really turned out to be probably the most wonderful decision because I remained in control. I remained in control of my day. Uh, and I uh, barely made, made a budget, barely made my, my salary, but I could spend as much time with my family and as much time with my patients as I needed to because that interaction at the end of the day to say I made a difference and I enjoyed what I did. Um, I've been in practice for 35 years and I can't say that there isn't a day that I didn't enjoy going to work to see <coughs> patients. The other thing that helped was staying or in organized medicine and my educational home, my professional home was the American College of Physicians as an internist. So once I had uh, began my family, um, I, I started working part-time. And so I had a wonderful work-life balance. But staying connected to something that you're passionate about throughout your career is, was very important. I found that when I started listening to my patients and learning why they weren't taking their medicine. So my passion became medication adherence. And I wrote a paper, it got published, and then uh, Mayo Clinic said, will you send a video of, your, uh, of why you wrote this paper? And I said, well, sure, I'm a Kardashian. I'll just have my uh, videographer come over to my little two-person practice. Uh, but I found a nice gentleman, and he came and, and uh, helped us. And that turned into an idea to ask our patients, who we'd taken care of for 10 or 15 years, why they weren't taking their medicine. And that launched um, another whole career for me. Uh, so that I'm a self-proclaimed expert in medication adherence because I listen to my patients. And my patients uh, have taught me so much, and they are just fabulous, and I've gotten to know them for 10, 15, 20 years. So that joy 
that calling, uh, that long, for me, a very longitudinal relationship with patients was critical. Um, I also found that once, even when I was busy, going to one meeting once a year, uh, which was my American College of Physicians for you, it may be the AMA annual meeting where you, you uh, recharge, you see people that you know, um, it is a very safe place, uh, and uh, you talk about things that you wouldn't necessarily uh, have time or, or feel comfortable talking about uh, back home. But when I, and I'll end by saying I would give my uh, receptionist who was uh, my employee the school schedule. And I'll say, when there's a day off for the children, don't book me that day. So that made my life in being able to raise um, three beautiful daughters, one who is a nurse in the health systems management, one who's an immigration attorney in California, and one is a mechanical engineer, all um, loving their profession. Um, it just celebrated one wedding last weekend. Um, so it, it can be done, it's hard work, but looking for that work-life balance and keeping it in mind uh, is, is critical all along the way. So I'm gonna give each of you one minute yeah. to finish this question out, and then we're gonna go to the next question. I'll be quick. So uh, I experienced burnout, and the interesting thing was I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, it was like my third year, halfway through my third year of residency, we all did one of those standardized burnout surveys, and 100% of my class was burned out. Um, this, was, this was only about two years ago, right? And I was surprised to find out. I was, but it wasn't even close. Like, by the numbers, I was, like, quite burned out. Um, and it was more around the, like, depersonalization and the cynicism. And, and that was the thing that made me realize that, like, oh, the degree of cynicism I feel on shift is perhaps not normal, right? Or the daily distress that I feel about the fact that I don't see my kids while they're awake for weeks at a time, right, is perhaps not normal. And so it was, it was an interesting experience for me to kind of reflect back on how burnout itself was kind of normalized um, through the training process. Um, and this is maybe not the most optimistic answer, but I didn't really deal with it during residency. I just graduated, and then it got better. And, and that's, you know, I, that was my personal experience, and we'll expand on that a little bit more as the questions go forward, I think. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Hunter. I've experienced burnout a couple times in residency, um, and I've only been in residency for two years. Uh, I think the first time that I really truly experienced burnout, I was on an off-service rotation on my medicine wards rotation, which for those of you who have done medicine wards, it's not the <coughs> most energizing rotate like month of your life. Um, but it was a particularly hard time, um, I think, because I was on over Christmas and New Year's where a lot of things in the hospital were kind of shut down. And so I was getting really burned out over the system and trying to take care of my patients because I couldn't get them to get particular procedures that they could get because other workers in the hospital were on vacation or on holidays or things like that. And so 
like I, I think after after finishing that, I, I really was kind of cynical about um, my role as uh, a healthcare provider and within like my hospital system and just as like treating my patients. Um, and for a while, I think it kind of carried over into my other shifts um, and my other rotations and even in my personal life too. Um, and then it really didn't change until I you kind of start taking charge of like recognize like burning out is just a reaction to the system and to like what the like the restrictions that you have in your life with residency and with your medical training um so i I actually got involved on our qi committee with the hospital and kind of started telling you know my experiences my story and i realized that there were other people who had like similar experiences and we were able to identify different ways to um try and help um alleviate some of the restrictions that we're having especially around the holidays and um, things like that. So it was kind of a, a way to take charge and recognize what was causing the burnout and not necessarily just react to it. So, Well, thank you all for And I think a common theme that we're hearing is that it's common to have burnout. Secondly, what I'm hearing from all four of our panelists is that having colleagues, friends, family, that part of the antidote is going to be with um, the help and involvement of other people. But that's not the whole answer because burnout is not an individual issue. It's oftentimes a systems issue. So our next question will start with Dr. Brown. And it is, is there a way to enable healthcare systems to provide what we might call mandatory or expected um, trainings, workshops, activities to be sure that everyone within the system has the space and the tools that they need to prevent burnout. So this goes to our title. Is there a vaccine, not just individual, but system-wise for burnout? And so Dr. Brown. Um, and I think the um, leave time for the you know Stanford and Mayo and Colorado have all uh, led the way in uh, changing the system. And I will uh, echo what uh, Dr. Blake said, which is uh, what we think at the AMA um, in in PS2, which is the uh, physician satisfaction, professional uh, professional satisfaction, uh, practice sustainability section. About 80% of burnout is due to the chaotic uh, environment in which we work, and about 20% is due to maybe not having the resilience or taking care of yourself. So I was giving a talk in Boston and uh, kind of a think tank, and one of the um, hospitals there said, well, we, we, we're handling burnout. We have tea at 2 o'clock on uh, the first Tuesday of every month. But then we just go home an hour later. Tea is lovely, but then we just go home an hour later. So if your organization, and I think if you, if you look at some of the, um, this paper you have here, um, stepsforward.org is open access. You don't need to put an email. You're all AMA members. But even if you're not an AMA member, there are tools there that you can use to evaluate the organization that you're maybe even thinking of doing a residency in. So one is, what is your leadership doing? And there is a beautiful article uh, written about the, and, and summarized on the organizational approach 
to addressing physician well-being. And if at the top level, and Stanford is leading the way, Tate Shanafelt is there who was at the Mayo Clinic, um, if the top level is paying attention to this, then it is probably going to trickle down uh, to the experience that you're going to have as a student or as an intern or resident. What we find that if, if the people teaching you are burned out, and if the t people teaching the residents are burned out and the residency clinic is the worst run, under-resourced clinic in the entire organization, well then that just adds to the, the chaos and the misery. So it really has to be a system-wide approach. No, none of you, nobody that goes into medicine is afraid of hard work. It isn't about the work and it usually isn't about the salary. We are engaged, we really want to be enabled. So to your point, Dr. Blake, what can we do? When you go into a rotation, you need the training to get the job done. I think you experienced that what burned you out was you were, if you had worked 12 hours a day, but at the end of the day you said, darn, I saved lives, I did a great job, you're home and you're, you're happy and, and you bring <coughs> that positive energy back to your family. But if at the end of the day, because of the system, you haven't been able to do the job you were called to do, that's problematic. So being enabled, if you need more training on the EHR, if you need more um, education to do your job well, then ask for it. Nobody's going to complain about that. You're not whining. You're saying, give me more so that I can do my job better. And you want to do the job that you went in to do, not to do an administrative or clerical job that somebody else could do. Um, and then make sure that the organization is even measuring. Not all organizations are measuring uh, the physician uh, well-being. And we find that uh, if the C-suite is paying attention, uh, they're looking at the cost of replacing one of your teachers or your faculty. So we know that it takes 500 to 1.5 million to replace a doctor, right? So if you replace, uh, and that's vacancy, recruitment and ramp up time. So that's where talking to administration um, has been some of our message so that uh, the administration understands the business case because we've hired our administrators to make sure that uh, the lights stay on and they're just doing their job. And lastly, uh, some leaders have tied their leadership compensation to the, uh, uh, the wellness of the workforce and that is really leading the way. But when it, the organizations start on this path, they start with attending to personal resilience. As they become novi beginners, novices, and then more competent, they move to measurement and then tying that compensation. So it really is a journey. Other panelists? Uh, sure. So I, uh, the, the part of this question that stood out to me was, was asking whether or not mandatory uh, wellness lectures and activities can really uh, be a successful strategy. And I had some personal experience with this, so building on the story that I told you last time, our entire class came out burned out, right? And so our program director came back and said, hey, so turns out you're all burned out. And I noticed that almost all of you happen to be off next Tuesday. We're going to have a mandatory event Tuesday night where we're going to have a psychologist come in and talk to you guys about how you can stop being burned out. And, and we had already previously planned a barbecue for ourselves. <laughs> I know. And uh, so it was a big uproar. Eventually, at the last minute, she backed off of that. 
right? Um, because I think there's recognition that it, there's, there's a certain irony in replacing actual activities that build wellness with uh, mandatory wellness events. And I, I, I would go as far as to say, I think it is, I won't say it's impossible, but I think it is very unlikely that you could construct a, a wellness program based on mandatory activities that is going to add rather than detract, at least for residents and for those in training. Because I think there's, there's a lot of job dis dissatisfaction that comes when there is a mismatch between what you are asked to accomplish and the amount of control you have over your life, right? And in residency, there's, you're just way off on that already, right? There, you are, there's so much that is mandatory about your life. You have very little that you have any control over. And so anything that adds more mandatory activities, I think, <laughs> is going to decrease your wellness. Um, now, there's a lot of non-mandatory ways, I think, that you can um, you know, provide wellness opportunities for people and, and kind of give them the skills and tools that they need to navigate that challenging environment. But I think specifically on the question of mandatory activities, I think it's not a good way to go. That was part one of our panel discussion on physician burnout. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. For tips on implementing practice improvement strategies and insights into how other physicians handle burnout, you can sign up for the AMA's Burnout Tip of the Week email at ama-assn.org slash physician-burnout. You can also subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.